Good morning. It's very good to be with you this morning. Many of you know me. I've been a member here for five and a half years. In that time, I worked and was able to get a Ph.D. in Old Testament. But I want you to know I studied more than Ph.D. stuff in that time. I also studied the way the pastors here did their craft. And I'm, I'm going to try this morning as I preach to pull some of the really good things from our pastors. I'm going to try to be wise like John Shouse. I'm going to try to be thorough and precise like Glenn Prescott. I'm going to try to be gentle and exegetical like Bryce Butler. And I want you to know, too, I've been working on a southern accent so I can be like Don Den. <laughs> for, for almost 50 years I've been working on it. And so I hope it sounds authentic to you. We've been talking about new beginnings. And when we talk about the Old Testament, we're talking about old ways for new days. As we are in the beginning of the year, we are thinking about taking these old ways from the Old Testament, from God's Word, and putting them in play today. You know, if we speak in modern terms, we're going to talk today about a person who is, who is a foreigner from a non-Christian culture. They are caught up in the human trafficking trade, and likely, if it was today, they would be chemically dependent. Have you, do you know anybody like this? When I was a pastor in Southern California, I met a couple named Donnie and Darlene. And I'll tell you, I've been around the track, the ministry track, for many years, and you see a lot of things, and you see a lot of people in rough conditions, and a lot of people that are scrambling. To make the day. They are stomping one fire out after another in their life. Their life is a mess. And Donnie and Darlene were these kind of people. They showed up one day at my office, knocked on the door. They were driving a 1973 GMC Suburban, huge, huge, a land ship. Had, it was rusted out, had no hood. They had driven it from Northern California to the Southern California desert because they were at the end of their rope. They came there. They had a friend who had a, a cabin that he was going to let them live there, and that was all they had. They had no income. They had no electricity and no water. They were both chemically dependent. And really, whatever they could afford, they would ingest and, and get high. And they were tired. They were so tired. Worn. Uh, Darlene, her skin was, was tired and, and wrinkled. She only had about four or five teeth left, and they weren't near neighbors. Um... She had been a bar fly, as best I can discern, knowing her for many years. I think her major professions were bar fly and prostitute. And David was, it's hard to describe, 
He was one of the most cantankerous people that I've ever met. He was very intelligent. He had worked as an airplane pilot for small planes. He had been a non-licensed lawyer and a newspaper editor. But he loved to drink, and he ended up in Wonder Valley in the middle of the Mojave Desert with nothing but a rusted-out GMC to his name. These people were truly destitute people. They had no income. They had no government support. They had no job. And they were the food that they had in their GMC was what they had. Now, they told me later that they came to the church, and they told me they wanted to start coming because they felt like there may be a greater opportunity that the, when they did odd jobs for people in the church that they might pay them. I think that's a good thing. But I have to tell you, having done ministry many, many years, I looked at them and I was quite skeptical about their motives. I assumed that they were there to, to get what they could out of the church. And after they told me they were going to come, they asked me, do you have any food? And we did have some, and I gave them some. So they began to come to our church. You know, as we look, we're going to look today at the story of Rahab in Judges 2. And it begs three essential questions when we look at this scripture. What qualities make a person unsavable? It's a trick question if, you, if you're paying attention. What does this mean for you? This, these qualities that make a person unsavable. What does it mean for you? And how do we respond as a Christian to unsavable people? As we begin to look at the scripture today in, in, in Joshua chapter 2, the, we see a person that is caught in a, the most difficult circumstances. Most of us cannot even imagine being in this person. And that's why I said, and why we would all say of this person, Rahab, it is very unlikely this person is going to come to faith in God. Let's be honest, we, we know people that don't really have a chance. You look at the condition of their life, the circumstances of their life, the choices that they make one after another. And you say, you know what? They seem to be a lost cause. Israel had been wandering for 40 years in the desert. From one water hole to the next... They were preparing to cross the Jordan. And the thing, as I look at the book of Judges, it's the most nervous book in the Bible. In chapter 1, God tells Joshua five times, Buck up, boy, be strong and courageous. Their knees are knocking together. They're standing on the Jordan. They say, we've been anticipating this all our life, and we are scared to death. We don't want to go forward. We, the desert wasn't so bad. And we pick it up there in chapter 2. They, are, uh, they have they're preparing to cross the Jordan. Now Joshua, son of Nun, sent out two men from the Akasha Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab 
and they lodged there. Now it makes perfect sense. Jericho is a fortified city. It guards an east-west road. And there are like there are three or four major approaches into the Palestine, the land of Israel. And this is the main east-west road. And Jericho is a fortified city that sits right at the river to block any invading army from coming in. A fortified city is very difficult to take. And there is a woman who lives in the wall of the city, we're told later, and she's a prostitute. And this also makes sense. This east-west road is the way armies came, but it's also the way travelers and merchants would come. And by living in the wall of the city, men could go visit the prostitute Rahab on their journeys without having to go into the city. She was convenient. That's why she lived in the wall. It was easy to get to her house. And so these spies had stopped there to see her. It is easy to judge a person like Rahab. And I want to tell you that I was telling Bryce just a little bit of a go. You know, I I have kind of dedicated my life at this point to studying the Old Testament and teaching it. And I would put this person, Rahab, in probably my top three, four important characters, important people, important lessons in the Old Testament. And there's no way we can unpack everything today. But I would put her up there with Abraham, Moses, and King David for importance. But she doesn't have a chance, does she? I have a list here. I've made a list and we can talk about more of reasons that Rahab is unsavable. Let's start with her name. It's a clue. The word Rahab in Hebrew means means broad, wide. This is a big, a big wide open piece of land where they could fight a battle. And so probably this is a pejorative, um, an insult to her, where it's used other places in the Old Testament, not for her personal name Rahab. They talk about the Rahab of Egypt. It is a sea monster. It is something that lives under the water to be feared and it's huge and it comes up and it eats the boat. We think probably in places they're talking about the hippo in Egypt. And so her name has all kind of nasty connotations. Sea monster, hippo, big girl. She was a woman. And in the ancient way of thinking, they believed that women could not really for themselves decide to follow God that a woman would follow the faith of her man, her father or her husband. And so we see in the next strike against her that she was unmarried. She was a prostitute. And so she, her father, most likely she was estranged from her father. She had no husband. So in the eyes of the ancient way of thinking, we don't think this way anymore. She cannot by her own good sense come to God. She needs a man. She has no access as an unmarried woman, no access to religion, no societal standing, no children, no purpose in her existence, and only one way to make money. For an unmarried woman, only one way to make money, and that's as a prostitute. 
she, this is a guess, but I would, I would go with this, that she is illiterate and uneducated. So let's say even if there was a book like we have, the Bible, that contains words of life that tells us how to be saved, how to come to God, she could not read it for herself. She was a non-Israelite. So what she heard about religion was not exposure to the living God, the one God. She was in a polytheistic culture. They believed in many gods. She was immersed in the Canaanite culture and their gods. And then number seven, and I left it that far down the list, she was a, a prostitute. Even then, it was not a popular profession for a person to have. She was shamed and shunned. As she went out to the market, people would turn their head and pretend not to see her. People would greet a dog that came by in the market, and they would turn away from Rahab. If you have worked with homeless people, what you begin to realize, yes, they want a sandwich. Yes, they, you know, any clothes you'll give them is fine. But what they most want is the dignity of somebody to listen to them, to talk to them. You see, homeless people go through life with most people they meet, most people they run into pretending not to see them. And if they see them, they scowl. Now, just for a minute, let that sink in. Rahab had nobody that was glad to see her. Because the men that came to see her, I guess in a way may have been glad to see her, but they were also disgusted at her and with themselves that they were there. You know, it is possible that Rahab was even a part of prostitution related to these polytheistic cultures. Most of the the gods and goddesses had something to do with fertility and a pro one way that they, the polytheistic religions would worship would be to go visit prostitutes. So it is possible that she was immersed in a religion that way. And finally, and we could go on, she was sheltering fugitives. She was people that had come to spy her country. She was hiding them. What... What this author has done is painted the picture of a complete outcast. Not even remotely a part of Israelite culture and access to God. She doesn't even have access to her own culture. And the two men came to visit her. We pick up in verse 2. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel searching out the country. The king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out the country. Verse 4. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. Skip to verse 6. She hid them up on the roof with stalks of flax. And she describes here, Rahab describes a normal response to an invasion. That's another factor that I didn't put on the list. Rahab was facing the complete destruction of her way of life. 
An army, imagine an army park in San Rafael, and we know that in the next couple days, Mill Valley will disappear. No more Tiburon Church, no more Safeway, no more gas stations, no more electricity or running water. The men will be all be killed. The women and children will be taken into slavery. And so that's another factor that would make, most likely, we would not be thinking much about God at that point. We would be thinking about defending ourselves or getting out of town. In verse 8, now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and she said to the men, and this is remarkable, and with all these strikes against her, look at what she says, I know that Yahweh the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, fear and terror, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. There is a massive army, military threat. Verse 10, For we have heard how Yahweh dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. Add to the military threat the fear of the supernatural here. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. The, the end of their way of life is looming. Verse 11, And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did, we remain, uh, neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. Why? For Yahweh your God. He is the God of heaven above and heaven above and earth beneath. That is a statement of faith. In spite of all these things, she has turned to God in faith. She sees in the destruction of her way of life, not catastrophe, she sees the will of the living God. Do you have faith like that? My car gets low on gas and it's almost payday and I say, where are you, God? It answers the question, doesn't it? Who is unsavable? What are the qualities? Are these The list I gave you, is that... Qualities of an unsavable person? Yes is the human answer. But no is the divine truth. There is no such thing as an unsavable person. That's what Jesus did. She wasn't even Israelite. Rahab was bankrupt in every endeavor of her life. She was dead end in every opportunity. She was outcast in every crowd and a failure in every attempt to be more than that. But she saw in her circumstances the hand of the mighty and living God. What character are you in this story? Are you like Rahab? 
Do you see God operating in the world, in the circumstances of the world, in the good as well as the bad? Are you a citizen of Jericho that is just caught up in the scramble of your life? Maybe you're an Israelite. Maybe you know somebody like Rahab. You know this divine truth. Pick up in verse 14. So the men answered her, When Yahweh has given us the land, we will deal kindly with you and truly with you. Then she let down a rope through through the window, for her house was in the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. Now what do we know about the walls of Jericho? You see, yet again, a mighty, there's a mighty symbol embedded here. She is living in the very walls of Jericho that will be the great sign that Yahweh is with the Israelite people when he completely destroys and brings down the wall. And that's where she lives. Destruction. Dead end. Human failure. So the men said to her, When we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And, verse 19, Whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if the hand is laid on him. Finally, in verse 21, Then she said, According to your word, so be it. She sent them away and they departed. She bound the scarlet cord in the window as a sign of her faith. You see, she put her trust in God and as a sign she hung the scarlet cord. So Donnie and Darlene came to church. Darlene, who was the most like Rahab in my personal experience, she, she loved singing the hymns. She had been in a high school choir that had sung hymns. And she immediately, Stephen, connected with those hymns. And they were good today. Thank you so much. She connected with those and God began to speak to her through the hymns. And within a month of showing up, she, she and Donnie came to see me in my office And she prayed to receive Jesus right there in my office. She said, I want this. I want to be saved. And Donnie rolled his eyes and talked about how ridiculous it was. Did I say he was cantankerous? They had absolutely no income. So I began to hire Donnie to do odd jobs at my house. And I I was a bivocational pastor. I did... Contracting, I would hire him to go with me. And I began to talk to him about Jesus, and he loved it. You know why? Because he could argue with me. And he argued with me. I estimate, and I am a slow, I am not a fast gospel presenter. I, you know, I got to warm up and get some momentum and go and tell stories. And I don't just uh, paint a picture. I paint the wall behind it. And, and so God blessed me with Donnie. I estimate I shared the gospel with him about 60 hours. In fact, one time we were hanging drywall in in a house and we got into a heated discussion about the gospel 
And the woman of the house came and said, is everything all right? She thought we were about to come to blows. And I said, it's okay. We're talking about the Bible. <laughs> and he loved it. He delighted. He told me. I do, and he would argue. Well, at some point, I got tired of arguing with him. Because I knew he loved it and he was delighting, delighting in it. And at some point, I just said, you know what? I have said all I can. Once I hit his loop about a third time through and he was repeating himself, so we've already talked about that. And I must admit to you, I kind of just, I said, well, this is a hard case. I give up. I've done what I can. I release you, Donnie. Uh, and he called me on Monday, Thursday, 2006. He said, Rex, I just got saved. He said, I, I had asked God for a sign, which I knew. He, he was from a Catholic bath, background. He was an atheist. And he said, I asked God for a sign if he existed. And as the sun went down in Wonder Valley, it's, it's in the high desert of Southern California. The sun went down between two peaks in a V. And as it did, it formed a cross. And the North Star capped the cross. And he saw it and he said, there is a living God. And he got down on his knees by himself. And he asked Jesus to come into his heart. He came forward that Easter morning. You know, it, it is amazing to me, that story, because I did my part. I did 60 hours. And then I gave up. You know why? Because I'm a human. And God saved him anyway. And God said, Rex, you did your part. But I'm the one that saves him. I'm the one that saves him, not you. It was a good lesson for me. Two weeks to the hour after Donnie accepted Christ, they found him dead on the side of the road. You know, God pursues us. Rahab had the same story. But you know, salvation is not the end of her story. We read in Matthew chapter 1 verse 6, Solomon begot Boaz by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. You see, Rahab became the grandmother of Jesse, the great-grandmother of King David, and a direct ancestor of Jesus himself. And this is one of the second things that amazes me about our God. Not only did he save Rahab, real literal salvation, because of her faith, he then wove her in to his plan. You see, you and I have salvation through Christ, in part, because of Rahab. He wants to do that for you too. For every one of us. Not only does his great desire. Did Jesus become a man. To save us. To save us. 
But he died because he wanted to weave us into his plan and have us start doing our part to bring other people to Christ. I asked three questions of just a bit ago, and I've already answered the first one. Nobody is unsavable. Even Rahab believed and was saved. There were no conditions, no qualifications, no questions. She turned to God in faith and she was in. She hung the scarlet cord out her window as a sign of her faith. We have, we have a scarlet cord. We, we sung it today. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Do you feel unredeemable? What does this mean to you? Well, maybe you're like Rahab today. Maybe you're too bad to be forgiven. Maybe you feel unlovable, forgotten. Darlene did. But she decided to believe that God became the man Jesus. She believed that he lived a perfect life and that he died to pay the penalty for her sin. Darlene and all she had done. And she confessed her sins that you can never be good enough to deserve. She said, I can never be good enough to deserve heaven. She said, Jesus, come into my heart spiritually, on a spiritual level, and take control. I've made a mess. Take control, Jesus. And if you're here like Rahab today, you can do the same thing. And you can be transformed today. There's also a lesson for those of us that have already asked Jesus into our heart. Maybe you know somebody that's this way that will never, never, no matter how much you tell them, they're hard-headed, they are sunk in their sin, Yes, in human terms, they're unsavable. But as we've already said, in God's plan, He can save anybody. God was faithful to Rahab in her household. He redeemed her life and wove her into His band. What she had sold cheaply, He made of great value. He wove her into the fabric of His blessing to the whole world. The scripture calls you to faith if you're not, if you do not have faith in God. Come to faith today like Rahab. And if you're a Christian, it calls you to pick a person. If you don't have one, pick a person that you came here today thinking lost cause and believe God. Believe that God can save them. Keep praying. Keep witnessing the truth of the gospel. Keep living a life, behave in a way that makes Christ attractive to the person. Be gentle and be honest. Come to faith in Jesus and be woven into God's plan. Let us pray. Oh God, what an amazing thing. What an amazing God you are. Thank you for your salvation, Lord. Help us to respond to it appropriately. In Jesus' name, amen.